All right. How's it going today, Adam? It's going great. So uh, I'm going to be Andrew a little bit as I get going here. I, Scott usually gets to, to say his piece while I prepare myself. But let me dive into a couple pieces. I want to touch on the Outer Banks, share a little bit of flavor from uh, the local Outer Banks here for you. And then I want to always give my sports update, which will tie directly into what our conversation is about. So quick Outer Banks update. If you guys have ever heard uh, on beach time or local summer, we are absolutely living that down here. The surf is firing. There's a couple storms out in the ocean. This is the same as last week. It was firing last week for us too. So that's where you get the sense. As you get into the fall on the Outer Banks, the, it totally changes, right? The 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 uh, guests are gone. The beaches are empty. The people that were really busy during the summer, which is pretty typical for a tourist destination, start to have a little bit more free time. And at the same time, the ocean starts to come alive with a lot of the, the storms that are out there. So the waves are just picture perfect right now. It, it's absolutely amazing. And when you think about beach time, you can see why you've got some people in these tourist destinations who are living on their own time because they just put in a whole bunch of work for the summer. And if you try to get a contractor today, I can guarantee not one is going to answer their phone because they're all on the beach and they're all catching those waves. So I think the lesson there for me is you got to take the opportunities when they come. And that's definitely part of beach time. Part of that local summer is, is making sure that you have some opportunity when you see it, that you can start to flex and, and make those moves. Now, that leads me a little bit into the update on the sports side of things, which we've been talking about for the past few months. Clearly, we don't sleep on the sports side of things. I've slowly become a, a, a stoic fan, and I think it was Seneca who said that uh, luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity. So my little guy has been preparing all summer, working real hard on the offseason, and it's come off uh, very well to start the season. So middle school soccer started last week, won a, a tough game 2-1 to one with a, a great header, uh, corner kick to header to win it. And then last week, or, or excuse me, last night had a great game. Not as good a competition. We won 8-0, but he got two goals and assists. So we're off to a, to a great start on the sports side of things. And as we think about middle school transitioning to club, this is where we were talking about looking at Manio and thinking about how do we bring in some other people. So our club team is coming together really well. We are, are exceptional compared to where we've been in the past. So beginning of October, we'll have our club update for you. But if you bring all those pieces together, what that starts to see is the opportunities that are in the industry, right? So we've been talking about AI for a number of times. I think this is our sixth discussion about AI. So we're probably experts in AI at this point, if you think about how fast that is going. But we're pulling in a couple of guys from outside of the industry. And I think that there are a lot of variables that we've been talking about that are coming together in the industry right now. So one, luck is preparation and, and opportunity, right? So that's what's happening right now around us in a lot of different ways, whether it's the market, whether it's the economy, but definitely with AI. So it's thinking about it, it's getting out in front of it, not waiting for everybody else to lead. So this is where we bring in a couple of guys from outside of the industry to help us understand really what is the bigger picture of AI? Because our discussions right now have really been specific to vacation rentals, specific to where we think there could be a play but the reality is none of us really know. And getting some outside input is going to help us frame what our next steps are going to be. Yeah, I think that sets it up well. And I did throw a little curveball today. So I'll go to you then, Scott. How are you doing today? And your thoughts on Adam's uh, kind of processes here and how you picked the guest today? Because I think we have some interesting angles to explore here. Yeah, yeah. So so this one is exciting for me. And I think it's a, there's a couple of messages here. And, and all of a sudden, we're starting to see people changing their approach on podcasts. Right? So Matt Landau released Unlimited yesterday, the first episode, and it's about starting to have real conversation about real life and not just tech stacks and all that other stuff. And quite honestly, we knew it was coming. Matt and I have had a good amount of conversation. And I think today there's going to be a lot of takeaways on the AI stuff. Jamie is going to drop some nuggets. He always does. Sometimes Stephen takes uh, credit for them, but they all usually come back to to Jamie. I Jamie gave us a good one a couple of weeks ago. I took it, ran with it, everyone loved it, and then I ended up giving him credit at the end. But it's funny the if you really look at today is about the value of surrounding yourself with the right people, and it's certainly the case for me with these two guys. So we came together in a Vistage group in June 2014, and from day one there was a moment that Jamie was going through some stuff and it was just real from the moment I met Jamie, literally from the moment he walked in the door, there was something different about it. And I, I didn't last long in Vistage and, and it was mostly because I was part of a DC group. And for me, every meeting was a pain. I was having to drive an hour and a half and I was doing it twice a month. 
and and quite honestly, I just wasn't at a great place either personally or professionally. I was still fairly lost. Work was not great. We were working through some things, but it was just it was bad. But ultimately, ended up staying close to to these two guys, and it was a rubber band. We'd separate a little bit, and just from life and busy. But then when we would come back, we we kept finding ourselves always running in parallel. So I think if they're listening today, you look and go, surround yourself with the right people. That is first and foremost, and don't let it be an echo chamber, right? Surrounding yourself with the right people that are in the exact same industry that are going to tell you the exact same stuff isn't going to get you anywhere. And, And I think if I really brought this home on the last piece with them, it's authentic, right? So we hold each other to a standard that that is just a next level standard, right? So our expectation when we get together is someone's going to cry, someone's going to laugh, and we're going to be super direct with each other, which can be uncomfortable. And we ask each other a ton of uncomfortable questions every time. I think Stephen is the king of uncomfortable questions. But again, there, there's a reality to that keeps us keeps us grounded, right? So I think outside of the AI conversation, I think one of the big things today is surround yourself with the right people. And the guy that led our Vistage group, David Belden, was one of the best, right? He, we all owe him a lot. And yeah, huge shout out to David Belden. But yeah, today, follow that track, but also two brilliant minds that are going to share perspectives. And Adam said, that are going to tie this AI thing together. And they're going to show that, it's every industry, everyone's working on something and and it's time to just be a part of that. So I'm excited. I think this is a very big one. And and again, I think there's several messages in here that we can drive out of here. Yeah, awesome. That paints the context. Steven, I guess I'll pick on you first. No other reason than you're just showing up first on my screen here. So welcome to the show. Thank you. We appreciate your time for sure hopping on with us today. So we've got two questions for you. Number one, if you don't mind, could you give the background, how you got here, your business? Because as Scott alluded to, it's not necessarily in the vacational industry. But before you do that, if you don't mind, could you also give us a song that best describes you first for our Spotify playlist? Yes. When asked what song best described me, I went to just what came to mind immediately and I've connected to it recently. And it's by an artist NF and it's a call it's a song called my stress so I'll leave it at that don't think too much into it I am a very folk I have a very deep focus about being a sphere of positive influence uh, and listening to the lyrics of that song it really talks about fighting off a lot of the negativity that's constantly circling in your mind so it's just it, it means a lot to me but I don't mean it from the negative connotation that you might take from it but rather spinning it the positive way And so background, so I'm Steve Fradkin. I'm the founder and CEO of a managed IT service provider called Antiva. I've been a lifelong technologist. I started really when I was basically in diapers, which I had for a while, but moved into middle school. Girls wouldn't pay attention to me. And I found myself sneaking out of classes and spending my time at a CompUSA, really just learning hands-on about all things technology. And I loved it. At one point, I ran into my first customer at a CompUSA and bootstrapped the business from there. And today we're one of the largest managed service providers in the U.S. And we've been executing a pretty exciting roll-up of other managed IT service providers. In addition to being very strong from a technical perspective, the unique thing about Antiva is our focus on growing people. So our model is really around accelerating the growth of people, helping them really develop themselves and others around them simply using technology as that accelerator. So how I got here today was probably just knowing Jamie and taking many of his thoughts as Scott alluded to originally. And it's a pleasure to be here and hopefully be able to talk more about artificial intelligence with helpful history or background and maybe just talk about some of the practical uses that we're seeing inside of companies today. So at at Tebow, we're in a unique position to be supporting over 1,700 small and mid-sized businesses across the U.S. and get to, to see how folks are using this, both at the most simplistic levels as well as the most complicated ones. And like my point of view is like both matter. Like you've got to understand how like the normal person who's just doing their job is using it. And then of course, what's the C-level person going to do with it as well. So definitely looking forward to diving in. Jamie, head your direction next. Same set of questions, if you don't mind though. A song that best describes you and then a little background about yourself and how you landed us with here us today recording. Uh, All right. So I guess on the first one, I'm going to cheat. The song that best describes me is one that I wrote. So I am a, a singer-songwriter as well. This is on Spotify, so it's going gonna, it's gonna to fit well on your list. 
And my favorite song that I wrote is uh, called Don't Grow Up On Me. It's a duet that I did with my daughter. And she is now traveling solo through Southeast Asia on her own. So she did not listen to me. She's grown up. But inside the lyrics, there's just a, a lot about me and us and our relationship, how important it is to just have those relationships and that that feeling of not growing up. It's, it's something that I want to hold on to myself as much as I want to hold on to it for her. Gotcha. That's definitely a first. We always joke sometimes that there's new artists being added all the time, but uh, picking your own song, that's a nice flex right there. So right? I dig it. Yeah. <laughs> like a guitar is on the wall. I got to represent somehow. I caught that. I caught that. And the expectations were said hi to the brilliance that I brought out. I'm just going to drop the mic with bringing my own song and then I'm done. <laughs> there you go. I'm good with that. So I'll go through quickly through my background. I've always been a tech guy, similar to Steve, more on the, the coding side than the making everything work side. That's how I put what you do, Steve. And started off in financial services, spent 25 years building companies in the financial services space. I used technology to build a platform for other financial services companies to, to build, to work off of. At one point, we had about 100 different institutions that was using it, maybe $80 billion that was running through our software. I We sold it to a public company. I spent two out of the three years with the public company, and then we uh, decided that I wasn't necessarily the best pet. So I split from there and started working with entrepreneurs, got really interested in equity crowdfunding and that space, ended up doing a dozen angel investments, and then two technology companies I ended up purchasing along the way. One is a net price calculator that helps students figure out what the cost of college is. We have about a million students each year from 200 institutions that are using it to, to figure out what the true cost of college is. And then CareerScope is the other company that I have, and that is career assessment software that helps people that are either starting or restarting to, to explore new careers, like veterans, people in workforce, correctional facilities are good customers of ours, and of course, students. I don't know. Awesome. Obviously those two don't necessarily map up perfectly with the vacational industry, but I think it's great. I get different feedback from different places. So we've got an outline. I'll do my best to stick to it, but you know, the conversation goes where the conversation goes. So the first piece here that we had, maybe I'll go back Steven's direction then on this first one is a platform versus a personal AI. So this has been brought up a few times, actually, maybe before I go to you, Steven, maybe it's wise. I think, was it you, Adam, who first had this concept written down the platform versus personal AI? Yeah. Could you go through that? Steven, the conversation up to this point has been what is going to evolve over time? Is it going to be a platform AI where we've got to go onto these individual platforms and use their AI? For our perspective is this, Booking.com has its own AI, Airbnb has its own AI, Verbo has its own AI, or does this become a personal AI where we all have it in our pockets, right? Siri or Android, where we're all working on an AI that understands us on a personal level, or do we have to go to each one of these individual platforms to interact with their AI? All right. So Steven, that's an interesting perspective from Adam. What's your take on that? Is that exactly how it's going to flesh itself out? Or do you see it being interpreted differently depending on the company? Yeah, it's hard to know the answer to that. I'm, I'm no clairvoyant here. And frankly, at the end of this podcast, I might throw it into ChatGPT and see what kind of answer we get. Uh, but over time, as I've seen artificial intelligence develop from its core, where it was simple if-then statements that programmers were putting in, and the, the most you could get out of it is if uh, what your input of data is matched what the programmer put in to give you a response, to today, where predictive AI is able to take mass amounts of data, analyze it in any language that it comes in, and output responses and information. As that happens, the models are getting stronger and are learning more and more information that it stores. My prediction is there's going to be a few massive players that have that core engine that lets third parties, companies and individuals access those engines and layer on top their own artificial intelligence that might be unique to that business or individual. Then choose what gets put into that model that learns versus what stays private in that shell. So said differently, I don't think we're all going to have a private AI in our pocket that's just for us, but rather our profile is going to be known by these mass engines and companies and individuals are going to be able to tap into that profile over time. Does that resonate? Does that make sense? 
Yeah, that model makes complete sense now that you describe it. I had not thought about it that way, but if you think about it, let's just use the companies that we all know today. It was a, it's a, a Google or a Facebook as two large entities that come together that we would then have our profile, which means that we'll probably have to select vendors. Jamie, it's going to be something. <laughs> where... well, what, I, what, what I would say is the vendors have been selected behind us and we're not going to have that choice, right? So these companies and individuals that we're interacting with are connecting to these various vendors. Just to take a, a small step backwards, and I'm gonna share a brief example. If you think back to 2016, 2017, Netflix already had some really amazing artificial intelligence that was in a closed ecosystem for them. And mm -hmm. the what I'm specifically referencing is artificial intelligence that allowed them to get content in any language and then quickly dub it to English and make the mouth movements change as well. So these have been around since the mid 2010s and held captive by these companies that are capitalizing on it. Recently with OpenAI coming out and throwing ChatGPT on the market, it created a situation where all of these other players needed to start to disclose the artificial intelligence that they were using and make it publicly available as well. So what we're seeing is all of these tools and all of these systems are out on the market today and they're starting to be able to connect with one another in the background. So we as individuals will have our profiles <laughs> understood by these engines and each company or individual is going to likely be pulling, giving and getting the select data that they want in their control models. So, all right. So that makes sense. Is it almost to, to use your Netflix analogy, which that amazes me. It, it also explains some of their hits on Netflix. That, that makes a lot of sense to me that they were doing this prior to us even understanding that. But if we use your streaming wars as the right analogy, does that mean as we pick these providers, are we going to know who they've connected with? So we're, all, we're picking who they're connected with, or are we not even going to know what's happening behind and we just pick the vendor that we seem to like? Yeah, I, I, my prediction is we're not going to know. We're going to have access to learn. I think they're going to have to be able to disclose it. We could probably dig into it. But we're not going to even be wary of it happening. Just like when you go on Amazon for the last seven years and it, it knew my wife was pregnant before I did based on our kind of review of <laughs> things we've looked for, right? Yeah. <laughs> so we, yeah. we it's a sort of that slippery slope on privacy. We're going we're gonna to release some of the information that we have or continue to release it, or maybe it's already been released and we just all have to be okay with that. But as a result of that, we're going to have all of this technology that can help us facilitate a lot of the decisions and, and processes that we're mentally doing today by ourselves. Yeah. I think the privacy is, it's already out the window. I mean, we, yeah. we, the, our, our privacy is already gone. We've already given it away because we get free access to amazing stuff and that's going to continue to happen. And I think I mean, AI is going to be ubiquitous. I don't think there's going to be, as Steve said, you're not going to be choosing which platform. It's just going to be so helpful to you that you're going to say, yes, I'll give you all of the information to be able to give me these answers back. It's going to be augmenting Siri and Alexa and all those things that you're, she's listening right now. <laughs> Well, I guess so that was where my head was going to go. So we might not choose anything. We've just, we're already existing and living our lives using Siri and Alexa and Google and all these other pieces. And we might just continue living our lives the way we are, but it's the search results or the results that we're looking for are going to be that much more dialed into who we are and what we're looking for. Yeah. yeah and I think it's, I think it's going to get even worse than that. There's air quotes on that for the people listening, because AI will start to tell you it's going to start to tell you what you want to think about. It's going to start to tell you what you want to know. It's going to it's going to be proactive in the conversations as opposed to reactive. And that's when it's going to get really spooky. Yeah, that's wild. Doesn't that kind of already happen today, Jamie, in some respect? Like I read an article a while ago about someone who got these very, I'll just say, controversial political views. And, and he traced it back to one YouTube video that he watched. And then, it, and then YouTube recommended him other content that was like further on this path of a more radical point of view of the world. And he was blaming YouTube and saying, oh, yeah, it was my fault. But YouTube kept recommending this stuff to me. I kept clicking on it. Isn't that, couldn't you make the case that stuff like that is already happening today? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah. And that makes it challenging. So I, I guess, Scott, I'm curious your perspective on this. So that was, there was a lot to parse through there, security and the platforms and stuff like that. But what's your take on this? 
Yeah, so it's funny. I'm someone that leans into it, right? I like to be prompted, right? And I like to think about, hey, I, I wonder about this thing. And then, you know, 20 minutes later, it's being prompted up to me and, and I don't know why. Because again, I there's a convenience in that. And, and I haven't made any big plans yet for any big heist that I need to hide from you guys or the government or anyone else. I, when I do, I'll probably get it from chat GPT, so it won't matter anyway. But but yeah, I, what I'm trying to look at is the intersection right on the business side, right? Is that's where I keep coming back to, because if you take this, right, because I agree with Jamie, it's when it gets to predictive is when it gets exciting. So you take that from a business side, right? From We can take it from a revenue side, right? So your side, Conrad, of how do you take it and say, we're going to hit Jamie, Steven, Scott, Adam, right at the right moment when they're getting ready to plan their vacation. And I want it to be from this company because they fit this profile, right? And then if you boil it down and then take it to now that they're on vacation, how do we use that predictive approach on their vacation, right? How do we stay ahead of them and, and run this? Because I, I agree with Jamie. I, I think it's predictive. I love everything about the predictive take. I'm trying to bridge the gap of how do we stay up front of taking that to bookings, to operations and across the board. I love that question, right? So as you throw that out there, Scott, like I'm thinking about as a consumer of vacations, right? Like I, I want that. What would enhance that experience for me? That's like game changing and next level. And the reality is I have a very busy life. I have multiple uh, responsibilities at work. I've got lots of kids running around, lots of things going on. And I, I don't have a lot of time to think about these things, right? So where, is, where in what I touch on a daily basis am I is artificial intelligence or maybe a tool from you all thinking about my needs to recharge and recover and what is unique about my life and my preferences that can target me not only to know when I need to do it, but narrow it down to some options that are already pre-populated based on my preferences, the age of my children, et cetera, and even communicating it in a fun and captivating way that pulls my attention to you all versus a third party. Hey, kids driving you crazy. It's time for a solo vacation. Hey, we know <laughs> you've got five children, so you can't fly anywhere. So we mapped out something for you within a 90 minute radius of your home. Hey, you haven't taken a vacation for it looks like 18 months. It's really important. It's recommended based on these guidelines that a vacation occur every 12 months or every six months. And this is the information to support that. Let me share some of that material with you. Like deep, all of these things would enhance that experience. Deep understanding of the individual and then generating experiences that are unique to them. And really ones that surprise them. I think that's where it, it really gets fun and interesting. Give me something that surprises me and my uniqueness, right? So if you tell me, hey, I've got this great beach property where you can go sit on a beach and there's nothing to do, that'll drive me nuts. You go, you generate an experience where it's, oh, hey, here's this cool ATV tour that we that you can do while you're at this beach property and those sort of things. Then I'm like, okay, this is something that's calling me. Might be the one who understands or can tell us back this concept up, but where do we get the data? When you say that, Jamie, that seems like the hardest part to me. How do I get that deep profile? Yeah, the answer is everywhere, right? So just imagine, okay, so Jamie's got a bunch of photos that he has that he puts on his PC that automatically synchronizes with Google Photos. That automatically gets reviewed. And every vacation where Jamie's sitting on the beach, he's frowny and pissed off and there's only a couple of pictures. But when he's out in the jungle on an ATV tasting worms from the dirt, he's smiling and there's tons of photos and there's tons of engagement. That's just one path, as is the kind of stuff that he does to plan for it. How much time has he spent looking on a website? Is he spending time and energy looking into different unique experiences? All of that, to the point we were talking about earlier, is being fed into these massive engines. You're calling them platforms, but whether it's Microsoft, whether it's OpenAI, whether it's Google, whether it's what Apple's developing, at some point, there'll be a few of these large players that have already pulled this information in, and it's constantly evolving, and that's got huge value. And then everybody else is going to be tapping into that information. So, Adam, like it's just happening. It's already happening. So is, to that point, Stephen, does that mean that what we're waiting for are the people to plug into that information? We're waiting for the right engine, as Jamie described, that planning and the preparation. Yep. We're waiting for that engine that can take all of that data and start to predict and offer that up to the general yeah. public. 
I, I, I think the answer is yes, it's already happening. The biggest concern right now is this privacy layer. And in my seat, in what I'm doing, we're seeing that solved left and right with different controls and systems, et cetera. To the earlier point, high level, nothing's private anymore. And, and to a consumer, the reality is, to Jamie's point, the, the access to free information in exchange for your privacy, whether you realize it or not, is going to sweep the world. But inside of companies, it's a little bit more complicated and it's a little bit slower to people may not be willing to accept that. And there's now being tools and controls that are put in place to, to control what gets inputted and what gets remembered and what gets output. So that's all happening. And I don't want to take us down too much of a fork here, but as an example, right when ChatGPT came out at Intivo, we were like, holy moly, we can just put a privacy layer on this. It's not that complicated. We could develop this in about 40 hours of work. And by putting that privacy layer, we can bring this to companies at the same price that ChatGPT is going to individuals direct and prevent security risks. And so we started the process of developing this. And as we're three weeks into it, we're already hearing Microsoft Enterprise Bing has it included. OpenAI's got the model that's going to have it out shortly. Bard is working on it, right? So then we're like, ah, we're not going to fight the giants and we're going to pause. But the, this is all this is already happening. All of it is happening today. Yeah, I, I guess I want to pause and, and Conrad, I, I got to go back to you because the grin you had while they were talking, right? Because this is your world, right? The planning yeah. world, the surprising Jamie, right? That's the world you live in. And, and, and you've got much to say on this, I'm sure. Here's a theoretical example that might make sense to me. So right now, let's say I send you a guidebook. Scott is going to come and stay again in Brittle Beach. He's going to get a guidebook from the property manager that he books with. And it's going to say, here's the restaurants, here's things to do. It's going to just have a smorgasbord of information on it. What I'm envisioning is maybe to your point from a second ago, Stephen, what if when I got to that guidebook, it said, hey, here's our generic guidebook. Click here to continue as guest. And we just give you a giant list of recommendations or click to sign in with insert app of choice, click here to sign in with Google, click here to sign in with Apple, click here to sign in with your information. Then that information gets pushed into that system and it goes, okay, give me a minute. I'm going to, I'm going to take a look at your information. And then my guidebook is going to drastically alter itself and recommend things that Scott cares about or Jamie cares about to the earlier point about him not laying on the beach. So I guess that's the way that I could see that actually working practically where there, if we could figure out, like you said, some way to safely share that information from the host down to the guest and then vice versa. It's, oh, great. Like now that I've looked at your information, you like steaks, great. Go to this steakhouse. That's actually my rest restaurant recommendation. Not me. Who doesn't eat red meat? And it's, don't go to a steakhouse. That's not really going to be appealing to you. So like that, that right, I think is a very really cool. recommendation. What yeah. if the toilet there could read my urine and tell me I was iron deficient and then you That's suggest creepy. that I have steak that night, right? <laughs> yeah. I just I want you to take it to that right. level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, like I, all these different devices. I'm just like, I'm just like picturing no. everything that we're looking at but here. Steven, so let me, I want to just dive into that one. Bad pun on the toilet. But <laughs> I want to, no, but I want to think about that because I was in that world for a while too with smart devices. And what do you think is the pace that's behind that? And, and how does all that, because smart devices, while I see a lot of value in that, there's also a lot of challenges around having all of this stuff connected and making sure that you maintain all these connections. So what do, you, what do you see as a timeline where everything does truly get connected and maintained? And maybe to your point, AI is doing the one AI thing. AI is what's triggering this to change. So all these smart devices came out. And when I say AI, AI, I want to be clear. I'm talking about predictive AI and this at a mass level, right? So these devices have come out and all this data and all this information gets thrown at you. Now, if that data goes into a data lake that can be analyzed quickly and trends and patterns can be looked at and they can make predictions from it, that's where these tools get even more powerful. And this is already happening. So I got, I put a layer on top of all of my devices to aggregate that information. And it actually uses predictive AI to find correlations for me. And we're going down a tangent that wasn't Conrad's question. And I, I apologize for that. But it's very interesting information. As an example, the artificial intelligence engine that I layered on all of the data that I got my devices to output has correlated that days when I walk over a certain number of miles, my sleep is actually negatively impacted. And I never would have thought of that. So I started to alter like the time I walk and things like that to make informed decisions based on that data that was being input into this system. But Conrad, to your point, I think, yes, you, you can, and I'm sorry, I want to just jump back to your question. You can have an input where you put in your username and password and get all that. But ideally, when you're hosting people, 
that you've already gathered their preferences when you took their online application, when you took their payment, when you took all that, ideally you're grabbing that information. So the minute they walk into your property, whether it's physical or digital, that customized experience is in front of them. And they don't even realize how. And to Jamie's point, that's the wow factor. And if you can do that before others, you're going to have a, a big competitive advantage. And I know Jamie's had a couple things to say, so I'll shut up. If you're going to talk about what you can do now, you're absolutely right. You have to collect it. At some point, you're not going to have to collect it because just like on Google search, it already knows everything about me. And it's when I go to a website, it's telling that website everything that website wants to know, like what ads to show, all that other kind of stuff. So your own, that data is going to get richer and richer with regards to what we're giving access to for AI. So at some point, you'll be able to have that information. But yes, you'll have to collect it now. Now, one of the reasons, so we're talking about smart toilets and all this other kind of stuff, which are interesting, but applicable today. And the reason that we're even talking about AI is because of ChatGPT, because of the chat interface. We're able to have a conversation with a computer that doesn't feel like a conversation with a computer. And so we're willing to give it all sorts of information in order to be able to just be amazed at the answers that it's giving back to us. So Conrad, when you throw out your example, take that guidebook and all that information and put that into ChatGPT or the system of your own chat interface. And so when I'm interacting with that chat interface as a guest of yours, it's saying, here's the restaurant you should go to on Tuesday night. Here's the restaurant you should go to on Wednesday night. And I can say yes, no to those things. And then frankly, it can make use AI to make reservations for me and set everything, just actually implement the whole schedule if, if something like that is needed. Yeah. Yeah. I think that just comes to mind as like a practical example where today it's very static and it's not very personalized. And maybe the host does a good job of saying, okay, there's nine restaurants in here. What I really recommend is this one or that one, or depending on your preferences. But I could just imagine a future where it's not a human doing that work. It's the AI, it's the machine behind the scenes, right? Understanding, learning about you. We had a bullet point in here that's a bit different of a angle on this. So I guess I'm curious, maybe again, I'll pick on you first, Stephen. We had a line in here about monetization, like all these things. Okay. My understanding from not, you know, having a really deep knowledge of it, but the reason that like NVIDIA stock is ripped up so much is that it's very expensive to like train and actually build like a, the large language models, right? It's not something that you and I can just do on our computer here locally. We have to rent a lot of expensive hardware and stuff like that. So currently it seems like accessing these tools is either free or very inexpensive. Like BARD is free, ChatGPT is either free or 20 bucks a month or something like that. So what's your take on that? Is this going to be something where it's like, you're going to get the non-AI version of your iPhone and then there's going to be an AI version and you got to pay 10 bucks extra a month or is there just going to be built in or what's your perspective on like the money the matters? The value yeah. of everyone's information to be able to predict their wants and needs far outweighs the cost associated with it. As it relates specifically to NVIDIA, the reason why they're so profitable right now and there's all this hype is there, they've made some of the best on the market GPUs, graphical processing units that are leveraged in massive infrastructure that's required to do this kind of predictive AI at scale. Other competitors will do it too, but that's what's happening there. The players that are buying that are these big groups. <laughs> okay, so yes, there's smaller companies that are making their own models, but hey, if Antivo drops half a million dollars with NVIDIA for GPUs to have our module, that's nothing compared to what some of the bigger players are doing, and it's in the billions or maybe even more, who knows? And so the value of that data far outweighs the cost of putting it together. And, and as with everything else, with Moore's Law, et cetera, the cost to produce the resources or the processors to do this is going to continue to go down over time. So that's my take. And I think the monetization of it from these companies come from cost savings in the delivery of customer service or taking steps out of their process and or additional revenue that comes in by targeting consumers exactly how they should be. And they may be charging a little more for that be, to recoup some of those costs. But I don't think it's ever going to be a direct cost, or at least it won't be a high direct cost. It's going to be all baked into that, that the, the savings and or additional revenue. Using Antiva as an example, we are working right now to create a custom predictive AI solution that takes, let me see if I can just explain this in 30 seconds. So you've got 
to us, we've nailed answering customer calls within two minutes or less with a technician that can solve it 78% of the time on first call. Okay, that's good. But the biggest opportunity is making it so that we could solve more on that first call. What if we could get that to 90%, 95%? So now what we've built for relatively low cost will take inbound tickets, read them, decide based on what it reads, break down the issues, figure out which technicians have worked those issues before, ideally for that customer, assign directly to that technician, giving the background support, both from the interweb and our private database on what was done to resolve that in the past. So troubleshooting steps, and then it'll even go one step further and take my left-brained technicians who are really great at fixing computer stuff, but not necessarily great at understanding the tone and the, the satisfaction of our customers. And it'll read that email and put it in green if the customer's happy, uh, yellow if it's questionable, and red if they're upset, allowing them to then use the tools we train them on to improve the customer experience that they give. And that's just what we're doing today. So what do we get there? We get tremendous savings by getting our first call resolution up and getting the problem directly to the technician that it needs to earlier and faster, taking tremendous wasted time out of our process. Whatever this costs us will be made up in those efficiency gains and we're already seeing it. Mm -hmm. Scott, maybe I'll go your direction on that because we've talked about, we talked about this in a previous episode where we talked about the idea that automation and what Stephen just described there makes complete sense to me where it's like enhancing the customer experience. But I feel like some people are not going to be doing that. They're going to be like, I'm just going to replace an employee with this AI. Good luck with that. It's like the old phone tree system. Like I, I just press zero. I want an agent. So how do we balance those two things where we're hopefully using this tool to help someone go faster and find efficiencies as Steven just outlined and not just, oh yeah, we don't need this call center person anymore, or we don't need this person at the front desk anymore. It's just going to be a, a machine is, or is that the right thing? Is that the right approach? Yeah, I think that's going to be the wrestling match. And I think there's got to be a commitment to hospitality, right? And, and I think AI is going to enable hospitality. I don't think AI can do hospitality. I think it enables it and gets it a pretty far down the road, but I think it's got to be a choice, right? From companies say, are we going to keep the resources to take this to the next level, right? To allow, take our industry, right? And I hear, I hadn't looked at it the way Stephen represented it, but now we can cut straight to us and say, AI for us, we would pay some dollar amount. We would invest it, it because if it came and said, now you're going to attract people direct and you're, they're going to bypass the OTAs to get to you. For us, that's not small money. That's considerable money that we would say, hey, we just, we stopped giving up that money. We save, the consumer say, saves, and I think it puts us back into the the realm, Conrad, of now how do you keep them, right? How do you make them a repeat, right? A loyalty program. Like how do you deepen your connection with Steve and with Jamie to say, you're in, we got you here, AI brought you in, but now how do we take that touch a little bit further? So from our perspective, I don't think it's it fully automates people away. I think there's efficiencies, but I think then you can redirect resources to really deepen your connection. With, with, with the customer. Uh, Scott, I, I think you're right. It's really about augmentation as opposed to replacement, right? Yeah. And, and the people that get that are the people that are going to do better as we go through this transition period. It's all about how do you tune the, the, the AI. The AI is not really smart, right? It has to be tuned. Now the big players are tuning it, but then you get the opportunity to tune as well. Let's take the uh, uh, image generation stuff, right? The art, the AI art. The five of us, we could say, okay, go right now. We're all going to go to one of one of the Dolly or Stable Diffusion or one of the AIR generators, and each of us has two minutes to generate some art. It's going to come up wildly different. And the person that knows how to manipulate that AI to get something constructive and beautiful and engaging back, that's going to be the person that's going to have an advantage going forward. So when you figure out that out for your own industry, how do you tune this massive amount of information and this engine to be able to create experiences for the people that are connecting with you. That's where I think the magic is. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's, that, go ahead, Adam. That's where my head is going, Jamie, is in how do we tune this, right? That's where my thought process is. And I think there's a couple components to this. 
the first one in our industry, the big influencer is Airbnb. They're the ones with the deepest pockets that have the biggest head start on down this path. Now, the question for me as smaller operators is, what does the future look like? And the way that you describe this, does that mean, to Scott's point, that when someone searches, they're going to come direct and they're not going to need those OTAs? So I think that's one level of our discussion. Are those OTAs in trouble? And then we can make some decisions based on if that's going to impact them negatively. The other component more along the tuning lines is regardless of what the outcome is, because it's all still relatively theoretical, what should we be doing as operators every day to tune this? Is it focused on image? Is it focused on text? What should we be doing to prepare ourselves and be the best tuners that we can be? So from my perspective, and this is stealing Jamie's thoughts, so that's why I want to give him an opportunity to go first. But to be the best tuners that you can be, uh, the recommendation, which is something that Jamie gave me many months ago, is to use it every day in what you're doing <laughs> and see how it will work for you and expand your mind around the options that are out there, right? So I've got to just pull this back out from the vacation rental market for a moment and give you just a real life example. So Jamie has me doing this for at least 10 minutes a day. I'm maybe two and a half, three months into this, doing everything from writing a, a poem to my wife to apologize for not cleaning her car in the, the tone and uh, style of Snoop Dogg as a rapper, right? So random, throw all that stuff in and see what you'll get out of it to help me write a job description for this role or help me edit some text that I wrote. And then about two and a half, three months in, I get this 37 page legal document from a vendor for Antiva. That's, it's only about $8,000 a year of work. So it's a big legal document for a relatively small financial commitment. I was like, I don't want to read this and I don't want to send this to my lawyer for this cost. So I just uploaded the PDF into, in this case, I was using ChatGPT and I asked it to summarize the 37 page PDF for me. It took about 12 minutes, which, which felt like forever and gave me a four or five really good paragraph summary of the PDF. And then I prompted it with another question of, hey, as the consumer of these services, what are some things that I should look out for to protect me. And then it gave me a bulleted list of 13 items, about seven of them made sense. I copied and pasted them back in and asked, how would they propose I write an email back to this vendor to communicate these seven points and wanting them to be addressed in this contract? And boom, I got an email that I then edited for maybe 15 minutes and sent to this vendor, right? That would have taken two weeks and several thousand dollars with an attorney to probably not get the best results. So to the specific question, use it every day. And your use cases are going to blow your mind. And how you interact with it is going to teach you things that you can then put into place by educating your customers or creating solutions that are unique to what you all are selling. I love it. That's fantastic advice. And that Scott and I have been trying to live that. And I know Conrad has as well, as we're all trying to use it on a daily basis. It hasn't put the full picture together for me yet, but I, I think that's time because it's moving so fast that it's just hard to to wrap our hands around it. One thing that I've read and one thing that I felt in the task example examples that you gave there, Stephen, is that chat is like a bit of a slow interface, though. You're giving it a prompt. You're having to wait for it to reply. Sometimes it replies incorrectly. You have to go back and refine it. So I do feel like at times there's been examples where I've gone through a process and I've gone, Eh, I should have just done that manually, right? I don't know if I really ended up saving time because there was this so, curve getting there. Yeah, Conrad, right? let me challenge you. Go back and do that same process two weeks later and right. tell me if you have the same experience or a better one. Yeah. And, and I think because there's... it's faster now, you're saying? Not, not only because it's faster from a performance perspective, but it's learned from when it gave you a crappy response to, a certain extent, to, yeah. to regenerate. It's yeah. learned from what you then had to prompt it to give you the answer you were looking for from the original prompt. It's putting all of that together. Yeah, which yeah. goes back to that scary privacy thing that we're just giving it away to be able to play with this tool. But it's all about the practice. So even if it does take longer, you want to get in now. So it's the, similar to, to like Google search. All of us are old enough to experience Google search for the first time, even Steve. And when we did it, we were terrible at searching. And it was a learned skill to figure out how can I use this tiny little box and these characters to be able to find exactly what I want. 
but it was iterative. It would be like, okay, that list doesn't work. That list doesn't work. Let me just keep on searching with different terms until I nail it. And then you get better at it. And then it's quicker for you to be able to access exactly what you want through Google search. Same thing here. You've got this chat GPT tool to play with it. You'll get better at it. As Steve said, it will get better at understanding you. And as everything progresses, you're going to be ahead of the game. Because- I, I love that example, Jamie. I, I talk to my kids all the time about Google searches because of that reason, because they're still learning how to do it. And I, I chuckle at it every time they give me the search. It's like, why did you search that way? But you're 100% right. It just takes time and iteration to figure that piece out. So that's fantastic advice. Yeah, yeah my seven-year-old searches Minecraft skins in Google. Like that's what he wants to download is like different skins yeah. for Minecraft on his phone. So he's even figured it out and he's seven, almost eight. So it is funny well, to I, see like when, when you're after information, it's easy to find. Yeah, go ahead. It, it is. And and look, I think we're months away from what we've all learned to be effective in Google search no longer being required, right? So Microsoft Bing having ChatGPT fully integrated, it, it, is, it is pulling ahead to to understand what many people are looking for and then trying to predict it based on those trends and it's getting better and better at it. It's 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 mind boggling to watch. I'm, yeah. I'm seeing that with every search I do at this point, Stephen, the results of, have been fantastic. Results that I would not have thought of, it's already coming back and given that to me. But before we close, I know we're coming up to the end. I do wanna put you guys in the hot seat and, and try to see if you can give us a response to that OTA question. What does this do? Does this drive us to direct bookings? Are those OTAs in trouble? What, what is that prediction on that side? Oh, man. I love Jamie's face for those. Did, didn't we say on. we're not in the business? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so here is my prediction. These OTAs are deep pocketed and deep into technology. They were founded in technology. What they created was the machine learned artificial intelligence to put all this together in the first place. Because they're deep pocketed and they're well connected in that community, I think they're going to create partnerships with some of these players and they're going to get a piece of every transaction. I don't know how that's going to look. I don't think it's going to be as big as it is now because the value proposition that they create is going to be smaller. But my guess is at least as the next step right between the future when they're not needed anymore, they're going to probably have a play in between that they're able to pull off based on their relationships and capital. That answer is funny because that was my question earlier when I said, are we going to be able to select by vendor who they're interacting with? But I think you're right. The relationships will be behind the scenes and we won't even know that's happening. Right. So they'll get a little big on it. We're not going to know, but they're still going to have some good earnings to report for at least a while. What's your thoughts, Jamie? Uh, my, so I, I can't tell you about the exact business, but I, whoever knows me the best and can provide novel experiences to me, they're the ones that I'm going to, that, that they're going to have my business. They're the ones that are, I'm going to be using. And I'm going to be giving more and more information to it in order to be able to get the best and novel experiences for myself. Yeah. Scott, that goes back to uh, the quote from Stowe that this, we're entering an experience economy. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's funny. And, and Conrad, this no pressure, but I think this puts it all in your court, right? This, this is going to live in your house, right? To essentially say, hey, Conrad, you've got to know who our guest is and you've got to communicate with them the way they want to be communicated, which is good as or better than Airbnb and VRBO. And our hook is you'll save a lot of money coming to us directly. Yeah. The, the hard part that I can't square personally speaking on that is that Airbnb and Verbo, whether we like them or don't like them on the management slash host side, is they've done a great job of organizing the information of the inventory. So the actual choices that the consumer and the guest is going to make, again, Airbnb has taken 6 million different properties and collected them in the same format with here's how the photos look, here's the title, here's the description, here's the rates, et cetera. And I can log into my Airbnb account. We were talking earlier about logging into accounts. I can click two buttons. My credit card's already saved and I can book. So the inertia of that, I think is really challenging to overcome. I think what would overcome it is there's some format that if I'm a vacation rental manager with two listings and then Scott has seven and Adam has 14 and let's say Jamie and Steven get into this business down the road and they both have 12, can we all use a common format that would then get distributed into into OpenAI, into some assistant where someone could just tap a button and then get to that information directly, so to speak, like okay. using the intermediary, but directly. And that's where I, I don't see that happening anytime soon. So, so that's so my take on it. Conrad, high level, I want to challenge that common format requirement in the future. And I don't yeah. think that common format's going to be needed anymore, right? 
So as an example, we're working with something called data lakes where you can just dump stuff in any format into a massive model that then gets scraped and based on patterns and other information, it, it outputs analysis that probably some of the best human uh, data analysts couldn't figure out. So I think over time, the technology, it's already here, can take any format and actually put it into the format that makes that cohesive database make sense. In the meantime, though, to the earlier point, I think the BRBOs and the Airbnbs have a huge head start in that. They have that data already. And as a result, to kickstart this and get the world using it fast, they're going to have a play in it. Now, what is their relevancy in the future? We don't know. But my guess is it's going to be more volume, much smaller margin or, or percentage that they get from it. And then at some point, if that's no longer value creation, I don't know what comes next. But that's my prediction. And, yeah, and, we, sorry, ahead, Conrad, sorry. So real quick to, to jump on that. If you heard what Rob said from Vacasa, right, and, and this was in their earnings statement as well. They built something, right, that they didn't disclose, but they obviously spent some money on it to ingest 2.5 million photos, right, images. And then they use that to create all new content for these things. So if you look at it and go, they're essentially showing you the, the path, right? And they're basically saying, you gotta, you've got to find the format. You've got to have the most information is going to win. Because I think, to your point, Stephen, it's just data. Right. And they're basically saying the more data, the thicker the data set, the better. Right. Because you're going to have the answer for just about anything that comes your way. And, and that was certainly my takeaway. And, and we had talked about this with Amy Highnote. Right. As she said, you got to have better images and then those images are going to inform your content, which is then going to inform your, your your lake of data. And, and clearly, Picasso took that step and, and they did it for a real reason, right? I don't know that they're VRBO level, but they're certainly playing in that technology space and they want to make sure that they're getting their cut of whatever is coming out of this market. And the analogy that I did, Stephen, on that Amy episode that Scott just referred to was there was a company called Dwellable that figured out mobile before Airbnb and Verbo figured out mobile. So they had the mobile app. It was almost Tinder. You would go to a location and then you'd be like, I like that listing. I don't like that listing. And they got bought out and they were subsumed into the Verbo home away family at the time. And I was like, I could see that happening today where an AI startup does what you just suggested. Hi, we're an AI startup. You put in your location and we've scraped all the rental listings on Verbo, Airbnb, and all the direct sites. And we're going to tell you that this is the best one to book for you based on your preferences. And then I could see that company being like taking a check from Airbnb and then Airbnb like going, oh, good idea. I'm taking them out of the fold. So that's, I think what you described makes a lot of sense to me. And I think short term, they have a really long advantage, big head start, like you said, because it's hard to get that individual host to be like, oh, go try this new platform. But if you just do it for them, then it's like the the friction is gone. So that's, that's the argument for that, I, I would say. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. We are time guys. In fact, we went over. So I appreciate it for sure, Stephen and Jamie, you guys staying on a little bit over the pre-recorded time that we have. We will have to put a bow on this one, but maybe we can have them back again. We, we certainly do repeat guests on the show. We've had many before. Now, that far exceeded my expectations, guys. I, I appreciate it. We we blew my mind. I'm, I'm suspecting we blew other minds as well. Creating these new models and, and hearing you guys talk about the way all these pieces are going to connect is amazing. Yeah. Th thank you so much. In the show notes, we'll put links to, is it okay, Stephen, if we've linked to like your LinkedIn profile and Jamie, is Absolutely. that a good place to reach out to you guys? We typically do that. Awesome. We'll do that. So if people want to reach out to you for any reason, or just ask you a question or something like that, we'll put it in that way. If you got some value in the show, if you listed this deep, hopefully you've liked the conversation. You like what we had to say. We really appreciate reviews. So if you go to your uh, podcast app of choice, you click five stars, you don't need any AI technology. You just click five stars, hit submit review, and that helps us a lot so more people can listen to the show. And here we have to say, thank you so much. And we'll be back next week on the Art of Hospitality.